Yes, Lord, that is our prayer this morning as we come to your word. Would you open the eyes of our heart? Lord, may we see you this morning. May we be ministered to by your spirit and may your word change us ever so slightly into your ways. Amen. We're continuing our, our series looking at heart matters. You know, it's matters of the heart that really matter. The heart is a fascinating organ. Not only is it essential for all of our other organs to functions, function in, in terms of its power to weight ratio, it is a beast. The heart weighs on average 312 grams. It pumps 7,570 litres of blood through 96,500 kilometres of blood vessels every single day. Wow. I don't know of any other pump that has that kind of efficiency. The amount of blood that can be pumped at any one time can vary from as little as 5 litres to as much as 30 litres a minute. Every day, the heart creates enough energy to drive a truck 12 miles. In a lifetime, that's equivalent to driving to the moon and back. Isn't that incredible? That exists inside your body. Because of its importance to everything else in our lives, it's often used as an analogy of other important things. If we want to get to the most significant aspect of an issue, we say that we want to get to the heart of the matter. We, we talk about the things that we desire most as the desires of our heart. If someone isn't really committed to something, we would say that their heart just really isn't in it. When, you, when you're deeply in love with someone, you would say that they have your heart. The heart represents much more than an incredibly well-designed and efficient pump. It is figurative of our deepest desires, our attitudes and our, motions, um, our motives. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6, verse 21, Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. What that means is that just like your heart maintains all of your other organs, the heart of your life is occupied with maintaining the things that are most important to you. It's the things that consume your time and your attention, your money. It's the first thing that you turn to in the morning. Take a moment to just think about your routine. As you stir in the morning, as you start to hear the sounds of life, whether it be a, a main road or whether it be the sound of waves or the wind rustling in the trees or the birds chirping. As your, your brain sort of wakes up, what are the things that you reach for first? What are the things that you desire to take in first in your day? I've got some statistics here. Some of the apps, the mobile apps that people commonly, most commonly check first thing in the morning. 
Email, 67%. Weather, 45%. We know where the fishermen are. That's the weather ones. Social media, 40%. News, 35%. Financial news, 12%. Traffic, 11%. Shopping, 11%. Horoscopes, 6%. Public transport, 5%. And dating, 3%. Your your number one thing may not be on there. It may not even be a mobile app. You may not have a phone capable of mobile apps. You might have made some changes in your life to say, you know what, I don't want to be reaching for my phone first thing in the morning. So I, I leave it out of my room. Just take a moment to think through what, what are the first things of my day? Because often those first things, they take a significant priority in our life. Throughout the Bible, God uses Israel to demonstrate that his heart, his desire for mankind. In Exodus chapter 19, we read, While Moses went up to God, the Lord called him out of the mountain, saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob and tell the people of Israel, You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians. And how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession. Among all the peoples, for all the earth is mine. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. In that moment, God is expressing to Moses and and to Israel his desire for them to be a kingdom of priests so that all the world, all the nations could see what it means to be in relationship, to be right with God, to be known by God and to know the one true God. In Deuteronomy 32, we read, When the Most High gave to the nations their inheritance, when He divided mankind, He fixed the borders of the peoples according to their number of, their, of the sons of God. But the Lord's portion, the Lord's treasure is his people. Jacob, his allotted heritage. He found him in a desert land and in a howling waste of the wilderness. He encircled him. He cared for him. He kept him as the apple of his eye. Like the eagle that stirs up its nests, that flutters over its young, spreading out its wings, catching them, bearing them on its pinions. The Lord alone guided him. No foreign God was with him. God demonstrates his heart for us in Israel, in his relationship with Israel, in in his relationship with Jacob as the first to receive this covenant. That his people, his church, his family, his sons and daughters would be the apple of his eye that they would be the recipients of his blessings and that they would worship and rely on him alone. God also demonstrates throughout the Bible that there are consequences for stepping outside of his intended design, outside of the covenant relationship, the way that he created us to be. When I was growing up, life seemed to be so different to what it is today. When I was young, there was this general acceptance that there are consequences to your actions. 
You knew that if your dad asked you to do something and you didn't do it, you ignored him, you defied him, you'd get a clip over the ear or a smack across the backside. There were consequences. But it seems that there's been a shift in our society generally away from that expectation that there are consequences. You know, that while there is an acknowledgement that we get to choose what we do and how we do it, we make choices for ourselves. There seems to be this, this desire to choose whether or not we receive the consequences that go with those actions. But that's a false dichotomy. We, we are going to get the result, the consequences of our actions, be they good or be they bad. That's just, just the nature of, of how things go. The truth is that we can choose what we do, but we can't avoid the consequences that come with that. Let me give you some examples. If I choose to eat a lot of junk food, I can't avoid poor health and feeling sick as a result. You ever had one of those days where you've just felt pretty crummy and so you go for that comfort food. It might be chips, it might be ice cream, and it is so good. It might be cheesecake. <laughs> it might be cheesecake, it is so good. And it just hits that spot and it brings you that sense of comfort and warmth. And so you go back for another bowl, another helping, another serve. And then after two or three of these comfort serves, you find yourself maybe emotionally feeling a little bit better, but in your stomach, maybe in your head, you're feeling a bit nauseous, a bit sick. We can't avoid the consequences. If I choose to ignore the maintenance schedule on my car, guess what? I can expect to break down more frequently. I can't simply make a choice and avoid the consequences. Conversely, if I choose to eat healthy, if I choose to exercise, the consequence is that I will have more energy, that my body will be healthy, that my immune system will, will be in a much better state to fight off disease and infection the positive consequences of our choices. God's heart, his deepest and strongest desire is to have a relationship with mankind, with us, to bless us, all of us. His desire is not just for the church and for the Christians. His desire is to have a relationship with all mankind, to bless all mankind, to provide for all mankind, to care for all mankind, and to help them live life abundantly to its fullest potential as He created us to live, as He intends us to live. The reality is, as we look around the world, we see that, that the vast majority of mankind do not live in God's peace. They do not live with God's hope. They don't know God's love. They don't know God's forgiveness. Because when we seek to live outside of God's design, there are unavoidable consequences. It's something that God has made clear to the Israelites time and again when, we follow, when they follow him, 
when they live out their lives in relationship to his design. They reap the benefits and when they don't, they reap the consequences. By the time of the prophet Ezekiel, we're going to come to Ezekiel chapter 11. So if you want to open your Bibles to Ezekiel 11, we'll get to that in a minute. By the time of the prophet Ezekiel, Israel had been through a lot of ups and downs. Initially, they were 12 tribes that came out of the 12 sons of Jacob, who was renamed by God Israel. They asked God for a king and we were given Saul. And Saul didn't honor God with his heart and so God chose David to be king. David, a king who was a man after God's own heart. After David, his son Solomon took the throne and after Solomon, Israel became divided. And the ten tribes in the north wanted to follow someone who would lead them in a way that they were comfortable with. They would tell them the things that they wanted to hear. The two tribes in the south, the tribes of Benjamin and Judah, wanted to follow Rehoboam, Solomon's son. And for the most part, it was these two tribes that remained faithful to God. The ten tribes were scattered throughout the Assyrian Empire. Eventually, the remaining two tribes, and we've been looking at this uh, towards the end of last year, um, the remaining two tribes of Benjamin and Judah were, were taken into exile into Babylon. This happened over a number of years. There were several different kings being placed on the throne by Babylon to govern for them. And these kings were the kings in, in Judah, the, the remnant for the Judah, were neither godly men nor sought to follow God. And it's in this environment into which Ezekiel prophesied, into which Ezekiel brought the word of God into this, this space of the remnant in Judah under kings who served Babylon and didn't follow God. This is what Ezekiel says in Ezekiel 11, reading from verse 5. And the Spirit fell upon me and he said to me, Say thus, says the Lord. So you think, O house of Israel, for I know the things that come into your mind. You have multiplied your slain in this city and have filled its streets with the slain. Therefore thus says the Lord God, your slain, whom you have laid in the midst of it, they are the meat and this city is the cauldron, but you shall be brought out of the midst of it. You have feared the sword, and I will bring the sword upon you, declares the Lord God. And I'll bring you out of the midst of it and give you into the hands of foreigners and execute judgments upon you. You shall fall by the sword. I will judge you at the border of Israel and you shall know that I am the Lord. This city shall not be your cauldron, nor shall you be the meat in the midst of it. I will judge you at the border of Israel and you shall know that I am the Lord. For you have not walked in my statutes, nor obeyed my rules, but have acted according to the rules of the nations that are around you. And it came to pass while I was prophesying that Pelatiah, the son of Benaniah, died. And I fell down on my face and cried out with a loud voice and said, Ah, Lord God, 
Will you make a full end of the remnant of Israel? In this passage, God is using the illustration of a cauldron, a big pot, and the meat within it. The cauldron represents the promised land, the blessings of being in covenant with God. The meat represents the best portions of an animal. It was placed in the cooking pot while the offal was thrown into the fire. This prophecy is a sharp rebuke to the Israelites who have claimed the name of God's people but instead sought to live by their own wisdom. Instead of listening to God and his prophets, they've made political agreements with their neighbours. Instead of being devoted to God and being completely reliant on him by faith, they tried to live by their own standard. And God has judged that standard to be outside his best design. You see, the issue here isn't about who can beat their chest the hardest. It's not about who can be the most stubborn. It's about the best way to live, how we live. Who would know that better than anyone except the one who created life? These Israelites had chosen not to follow God's ways, not to seek God's heart, not to act the way that God would act, not to respond the way that God would respond. They'd lost sight of God's heart. And as a result, they suffered the consequences. They perished. They did not live out their lives under God's blessing and benevolence. They were taken away into exile and slaughtered by the sword. In verse 13, we hear Ezekiel's heart where he says, Ah, Lord God. It's a cry of anguish. Will you make a full end to the remnant of Israel? And we know throughout Scripture, throughout the Bible, that there are times where God is not beyond starting over. He said to Moses, when the, when the Hebrew people rebelled against God, that he would wipe them out and start again with Moses. Moses pleaded against that and God relented. But we see this time and again and, and here we see the heart of, of Ezekiel crying out. God, is this the end of your people? Have they come to the end of your grace and your mercy? Is there no way back for them? God responds to Ezekiel, to Ezekiel's cry with this response from verse 15. Son of man, your brothers, even your brothers, your kinsmen, the whole house of Israel, all of them are those whom the inhabitants of Jerusalem have said, go far from the Lord. To us, this land is given for a possession. Therefore says, thus says the Lord God, though I removed them far off among the nations, though I scattered them among the countries, yet I have been a sanctuary to them for a while in the countries where they have gone. Therefore say, thus says the Lord God, I will gather you from the peoples and the assemblies, you out of the countries where you've been scattered, I will give you the land of Israel. And when they come, there they will be they will remove from it all its detestable things 
and all its abominations and I will give them one heart, a new spirit I will put with them. I will remove their heart of stone from their flesh and I will give them a heart of flesh that they may walk in my statutes and keep my rules and obey them. And they shall be my people and I will be their God. But as for those whose heart goes after the detestable things and their abominations, I will bring their deeds upon their own heads, declares the Lord God. God's promise is not without the is not to withhold consequences. And what we see through this time is that that those who remained in Judah were not the faithful ones. Those who, who had the, the, the opportunity to worship in the house of, the, of God were. Those that, that he took out into Babylon, he, he took out in order to restore them. But for a time, for a season, the way that they expressed their, their covenant relationship with God what that looked like on a day-to-day basis changed. But what didn't change, what never changed, was their heart. Their heart was always for God. God's desire was to bring this remnant back from the nations to restore them with refined hearts, not of stone, hardened by hurt and bitterness and anger, but hearts of flesh. God's promise was to transform their hearts. And for those who refused, those who dug their heels in and said, No, God, The consequences, he promises, that he will bring their deeds upon their own heads. A challenge for us today, what kind of heart do we have? It's so easy to be burdened by conflict. It's so easy for our hearts to be scarred and burnt and hardened by the words and actions of others. If we're honest, as we look at our heart, we look at where we find ourselves today. Our hearts brimming and overflowing with love and compassion, grace and mercy, gentleness. Or if we're honest, are there... Are there pockets within our heart full of bitterness, hurt, anger? Do we have a heart that says, God, I want to surrender all. I want to give you my heart. Do we have a heart that is unified together as the body of Christ? Unified with God's heart. A heart that that genuinely desires forgiveness, that genuinely desires reconciliation and restoration. 
Or do we have a heart that is divided, that, that seeks out our own comforts? Do we have a heart that desires above all else to follow God? This is why we are taking time together as a church to look at matters of the heart that really matter. Because let me tell you, it is, it is completely normal and natural for us when we're hurting to get hardened hearts. And that affects the way that we love one another and care for one another. That affects the way that we understand God's love. We're going to dig into some of that over the coming weeks. Ultimately, this year we want to really be looking at what does it mean for us as Jesus says in uh, John 6.35, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. By this shall all men know that you are my disciples, that you have love for one another. If we can't humble ourselves, if we can't love one another, despite our differences, if we can't be unified despite our differences in, in our convictions, our passions, our desires, we are damaging God's witness. He is not seen in our community through us. And I know it's our, our desire, a deep desire, above all else as a family to love one another to know God's love and to make that love known I don't know where you're at this morning what your heart is wrestling with I want you to know that this is not simply just a flick a switch kind of a thing but at its deepest point when we are hurting it's the work of the Holy Spirit that provides the healing. Will you pray with me? And I'll invite the team up and we've got one more song. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Heavenly Father, our, our heart this morning, our desire this morning amidst all that is going on in, in our lives is to know you and to know your love fully, deeply, authentically. Lord, you see our hearts in ways that, that uh, often we can't. Lord, you know our hurt and our pain. You know our grief far greater than we could ever comprehend or express. Lord, we just simply ask this morning that you help us understand our grief and pain help us understand what it means to love Lord, would you lead us in your ways lead us in your heart amen